Before um, I get into the word tonight, uh, Graham read from Psalm 23 right at the outset, and I want to share something with you. Um, when I was when he was reading Psalm 23, I was reminded uh, of the time I was in hospital with a heart attack, and there was a lady there who was in hospital because of heart failure. I had just come from theatre and. She had gone into theatre and when she came back out of theatre she was breaking her heart. And uh, I went over to speak to her. Her name was Davina. I said, Davina, what's wrong? She said, they can't do anything for me. Isn't that sad? When, when we get to a situation in life and the doctors and the medical staff can't do anything for us, it's tragic. But we've got a great God. I don't want you ever to forget that. We've got a great God. We'll touch on that tonight as well as we go through the message. But I said to her, I said, I would love to pray with you. And I said, she said, I go to church. She went to Church of Scotland. She came from the Borders area. And she said to me, I go to church. I said, are you a Christian? And she looked at me. She said, I love to sing the songs. I said, do you know the Lord Jesus is your saviour? Oh no, she said. And I read to her, quoted to her this psalm. I didn't have a Bible. I quoted it to her. And I said to her, I said, I want to ask you two questions. At the very beginning of this psalm, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. And right at the very end of it, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I said, I want to ask you, Do you know the Lord is your shepherd? And should your heart feel completely? I said, are you going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? And she was weeping. And she said, no. And I said, I would like to pray with you. And I prayed two things with her. I said, Lord, give Divina peace in the circumstances that she finds herself in. But more than anything else, cause her to believe in you. And give her the peace that comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that was all I prayed when I opened up my eyes there she was and she looked up at me and she said Robert I believe I believe (laughs) isn't it wonderful you see it's so simple as believing sometimes we get caught up as Christians and bringing people to faith in Christ and a whole host of things that we've got to go through with them God knows the heart I keep saying this to people God knows the heart of the person that's believing in Christ he knows the heart of the person that he's touched the thief on the cross Lord remember me when you come in your kingdom the women at the well Come see a man that told me all things ever I did. It's not this the Christ. Two men in the temple. One man prayed, I thank thee Lord that I'm not as this other man here. And the poor other man smote himself in the breast and he said, God be merciful to me a sinner. And immediately, immediately, they're transported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Haven't we got a wonderful God? It's all to do with faith. It's believing believing. God knows a heart that repents. God knows a true believer in Jesus Christ because it will be producing the fruit of the Spirit. Somebody said to me the other week, Robert, what would you say is is the absolute test of a true believer in Jesus Christ? I said, go to uh, John chapter 15. 
I said it's to do with the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is in you, you will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? That's what it's about, folks. It's about knowing God from the depth of your heart and living for Him. And I'm going to touch on this tonight. Um, and so I want, uh, I want us to turn, please, to John chapter 17. John 17. And I want to read two verses to you. John 19, sorry, uh, and verse 17 and 18. John 19, verse 17 and 18. And I want to talk tonight about what it means to be crucified with Christ. This is of paramount importance for the believer. Then Jesus, therefore, went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. And I pray that God will add a blessing to his word. Let's pray. Father, tonight as we come to your word, we realize that we are taking into our hands the most precious book in the world but also into our hearts and from our hearts flows the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most important person in the world, and our worship to the God of heaven. And we say to thee tonight, who is like unto thee, O Lord, amongst the gods? So we ask you to speak to our hearts. Touch each one of us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let us not rest upon ourselves, but let our dependence be on you. Let us trust in the Lord with all our heart, and lean not on our own understanding, and in all our ways acknowledge you, so that you might direct our paths. Hear our prayers this night. Speak through this faulty servant, for I am nothing. I confess my weakness before you, Lord. And I say that my adequacy is in you alone. Hear this prayer. Honor your name. For we ask these things in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's been some great men in history. And... uh, They've made some very powerful statements, but I want to refer to one contained in the Bible. Most of us, if not all of us, will have heard of the Apostle Paul. Tremendous man of God who was rescued from Judaism and brought by the power of God to his knees. Saved by God's grace appointed by God as a minister and a witness, not just to Jews, but ultimately unto the Gentiles also. And he says this to the church at Galatia, who had fallen into a kind of a legalism again. They began to believe after their conversion that they should go back to obeying the law. I want to say this to you, that Jesus Christ didn't come to throw the law out. He came to fulfill the law. But when Jesus Christ came, he brought grace and truth. 
And to the believer who is in Jesus Christ, the law is fulfilled in that believer. But that doesn't mean to say that we can just go out and do anything we want. We were singing a song tonight and I was thrilled to see it up there. And it was to do with us doing the will of God. We're going to touch on that in a moment or two. But it's absolutely vital and paramount as believers that we fulfill the will of God in our lives. But Paul was writing to the church at Galatia after correcting them. Oh foolish Galatians, he says, who had bewitched you? And I want to say to you, Satan will do everything within his power to cause you to stumble and fall. To believe things that are not true, that are not concurrent and not true according to God's word. He will do everything within his power. He will try to deceive you. He will even try to destroy you. That's the power of the evil one. But I want to say to you, greater is he that is in you. That's the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And he that is in the world, the old devil himself. Paul says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of God. The faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And later on in chapter 6 of the same uh, uh, epistle, he says this. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. We read tonight concerning the crucifixion of Christ. It's one thing that Christ was crucified. It's quite another thing that you and I are crucified with him. It is one thing that Christ did God's will. But it's quite another thing that you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ also do God's will. His purpose in being crucified for us is ultimately that we should be crucified with him. So the question and the subject before us today is, what does it mean to be crucified? What does it mean for us as believers to die in Christ, to die with Christ? It's not a question that we should consider lightly. For we are warned of the consequences by the Lord Jesus in Matthew's Gospel if we make false professions of faith in Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verse 21 through to 23. Matthew 7 verse 21, Jesus said, No, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name we've cast out demons. And in your name we've done so many wonderful works. Then I will say to them, said Jesus, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. To help us to understand what it means to be crucified with Christ, I want to highlight some of the truths that are enshrined in in John chapter 19, uh, which is bearing in Paul's statement in Galatians 2 and 20, and unpack how we apply this to our lives. Key to this are the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 7 and 21. He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, he shall enter. 
And so this passage provides us with an accurate account of Jesus' death. It was for this purpose that he came into the world to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. And the passage is also a record of the fulfillment of God's sovereign will for the salvation of mankind. Which God planned before the very foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God planned this before the very foundation of the world. That he would send his son as a baby into Bethlehem. That God would become man. He designed the very place. He designated the time. And he designated all of the circumstances which were involved in the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right through to the resurrection. Right through to his ascension into glory. And when we begin to understand the sovereign will of God, we will realize that God is not just a God of love, he's a God of judgment. And your sin and mine was judged in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So John 19 and 7 says, 17 says this, He bearing his cross went forth into a place called a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Golgotha was a place of death. It was an atrocious and reprehensible place. It was a place of dishonor. The Roman authorities intended it to be a place where all would see the public execution of criminals. And it was also to serve as a warning to all who traveled into Jerusalem. This gospel of Jesus Christ is revolutionary. It's radical because it confronts sin in our lives. And it challenges us after we become Christians, to walk in holiness with God. This is not just a wee decision that we made many years ago. It's a decision that we have made for life. And we should continue to walk in the ways of God, says the Apostle, until Christ is formed in us. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine Jesus Christ shining through us? I've seen it. One or two people during my life, I've seen the glory, a little bit of that Shekinah glory coming upon them. And that radiance of the power of God flowing through them and out of them. And it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Well, we must learn to live like Jesus did. Remember he said, be ye holy for I am holy. Jesus was not afraid to challenge the authorities of his time. We're living in terrible days, aren't we? Look at the laws that are being passed by government. They need to be challenged. Look at the wars throughout the world. Look at the terrible things that are happening. Never mind abroad in their own country. Look at what's happened down in Salisbury. Dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. That's the work of evil. That's the work of Satan. He's out to destroy mankind. And that's the ultimate fruit of sin. is destruction and separation from God for all eternity. And if you don't know the Lord tonight, I want you to come to know him. Because if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, you will meet him at the great white throne judgment. And boy, oh, what a judgment that's going to be. I don't even want to go into the detail of it. It's so horrible. I pray tonight that everyone in this room, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and that you know Christ is your Savior, and that you're walking with God. Jesus was not afraid to challenge the authorities of his time. He was not embarrassed. 
He loved not his life unto death, and in doing the Father's will, he was revealing to us the importance of us doing the Father's will, and walking in holiness and obedience to him. So what does it mean for us to be crucified with Christ? It means that we must overcome the flesh. The Bible instructs us in overcoming the flesh and restoring ourselves to a right relationship with God. And firstly, we must be open and honest about ourselves with God. If we're not open and honest with God, we'll never get right with Him. I keep saying this to people who who I'm counselling about salvation. Unless they recognise that they're a sinner, they're without hope and they're bound for hell. They will never ever come to know God. You can't have a self-righteous person coming to God and saying, Look, I don't need to recognize I'm a sinner. I was just hearing this morning about a young woman who came to a preacher and said, By the way, I don't believe in the resurrection because it's all not really necessary. I'm having a good time as a Christian. They can't have a good time as a Christian and not believe in the resurrection because the resurrection is the crux of the gospel. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is vain, you're yet in your sins, and you're of all men most miserable. Wow. You've got to believe in the resurrection. And you don't need to know that at the moment you're converted. The Spirit of God will put it within you. And as soon as you open the Word of God, the Spirit of God will bring it to life, and you will believe it and accept it and receive it as the truth of God's Word. Not oppose it. The Bible says, If you, Lord, should mark our transgressions, who would stand? The truth is that none of us would stand. If God was not to be gracious and merciful and loving, then we would not know the salvation that he has brought to us through the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 verse 10. And so when we come to God, we have to be honest and open. The word of God has to be a mirror on our soul, shining out to us, shining into us, speaking to us, bringing the condemnation of sin within us. And then ultimately, not just the condemnation of sin, but breaking us and bringing us to the foot of the cross in repentance and faith and believing in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's really what salvation is about. Secondly, having had our sin exposed by God's word, we must call out to God to forgive us and save us. If we don't understand that there is a necessity for us to call out to God when sin is heavy on our lives, then nothing will happen to this sin. It won't be forgiven. Unless we ask God to forgive us, He won't forgive us. And so it is also with Christians. When we sin against each other, we've got to forgive one another. Jesus said, if you do not forgive one another, neither shall my Father in heaven, which is in heaven, forgive you. It's really important that we we live in unity within the body of Christ. It's really important that we work together and we love together and that we're one with each other. Look at the New Testament church, Acts of the Apostles. They were all together, one, united in faith in Jesus Christ. 
It was one of the strengths that brought the almighty blessing of God upon them. On one occasion there was over 3,000 souls. Say, can you imagine that? It's wonderful. What would happen if this whole village or town had to come in here? Would you be ready for it? Wouldn't it be exciting? That's what we should be praying for. Don't have wee teeny weeny visions. Get your vision widened. Call out to God for the salvation of your community. Start with yourself. God make me fit and holy so that I can serve you as you want. Not my will Lord, but yours be done. Wow, what a challenge. Do you want to live as Jesus lived? Well, there you go. There you go. It's powerful, folks. There you go. If you really want to live as Jesus lived, if you want to experience the power of God, not just to work in your community, but first of all, at work within you and the Spirit of God flowing out of you, out of your innermost being shall flow what? Rivers of living water. It's like a mighty flood gushing out. The world will not be able to assuage it. They won't be able to stand against it. When there was revival up in Lewis, they were flooding into the churches. Nobody invited them. The Spirit of God came upon them. And one of the things I see today in churches is all sorts of things coming in as excuses for trying to attract people. And I'm not saying it's wrong to attract people. But it should never replace the power of the working of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And so often the Holy Spirit has been relegated to the ranks of nothingness. Forgotten about. When last did you hear ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit? When last did you hear power, the power of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of believers? You want to know the power of God and want to see Him working. We've got to give the Holy Spirit His place in the church of God. So that He can do in our hearts what He wants to do. And if we're not willing to walk with Him, you won't see that power. If you're not willing to walk with Him, you won't see the unity of God at work within us. And Psalm 133 says this, Where brethren dwell together in unity, there the Lord commands, commands, not just sends a wee blessing, He commands it to come into the midst of His people. And I'm praying for this place, that God will command His blessing to come in amongst you, and that you will experience the power of God at work in the midst of you. So having had our sin exposed by God's word, we must call out to him. Immediately he forgives us. Why is it Christians are unforgiving of one another? I knew a brother that sinned at one point. And do you know this? For years and years and years and years, his brethren would not forgive him. His brethren would not forgive him. Isn't it tragic? What does the Apostle John say? If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. If we confess our sin to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How long does it take us to how long does it take the Lord to forgive us? It's immediate, isn't it? It's immediate, that's what he says, I'll forgive you. And we think we're better than God? That we can hold a grudge against our brother or sister? God forgive us. Let's come before God in 
prayer if that's the case and be united together in love confessing our sins one to the, one to the other as the scripture says that the spirit of God might have free flow in our lives and that the Shekinah glory of God might fall upon this place The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That verse reminds me of a lady at work who was really troubled. And ultimately after me spending some time with her, praying with her, and she called me into the office one day. I had given her a Gideon's New Testament. And she got to Romans 10 and 9 and then she took me down to Romans 10 and 13. She says, Robert, is this what I've got to do? I said, it is indeed. Can I do it now? I says, why have you not already done it? <laughs> yes, of course. I don't care whether you're an unbeliever or a believer tonight. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the unbeliever it's the salvation of your soul. For the believer it's the salvation of your life. John 8 and 36 so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. God's desire is that you're not bound up with sin. The Bible says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, Psalm 119 verse 11, Your word have I hidden mine heart, that I might not sin against you. And therefore the overriding purpose of God in the life of the believer is not just to save you, but that you might experience freedom from the bondage of sin. God doesn't want you to be bound up with sin. He wants you to be absolutely liberated so that he can fill you until you're overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we must of necessity starve the sinful nature within us of its desires so that it dies. This means for us as Christians... Our life is a walk of death. You know, you might think that's pretty strong. Let me say this to you. If we feed something, it will grow. If we starve something, it will die. That's a natural law. Paul says, I die daily. This journey that we're on is a journey of death. Despite the fact that we are saved by God's grace and God has given us the Holy Spirit to reside within us, we must understand there is a war at work in our soul between the new man in Christ Jesus and the old man of the flesh. It's the new nature warring against the old nature. It's the old nature warring against the new nature. The Bible says, but flee from sinful actions, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Here's another text, 2 Timothy 2 and 22. Now flee from youthful lusts. Another text from Colossians 3 and 5. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. If there is one thing that will affect the believer more than anything else, it's immorality. I've seen so many Christians being brought down by it. And I'm glad I've been able to counsel Christians against it and save them from stepping out into it. I was hearing this morning about Abraham. Do you remember how Abraham 
and his wife threw a servant girl into him landed is no sort of bother part of God's sovereign will but look at what happened in Abraham all the nations of the earth are blessed because of the covenant for he looked forward to a day where Christ would come and become a new covenant he looked off unto glory looking for a city whose builder and maker was God that's where our hearts should be folks we shouldn't be concerned with the flesh if God is able to do that with Abraham and deliver him from his circumstances how much more is he able to do it for you and I absolutely the Bible says Ephesians 4 20-24 but you did not learn Christ in this way if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you put on the new self which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth Susanna Wesley the mother of the great preachers and hymn writer John and Charles Wesley describes sin and the flesh in this way she said whatever weakens your reasoning impairs the tenderness of your conscience it obscures your sense of God or takes away your relish for spiritual things in short she says if anything increases the authority and the power of the flesh over the power of the spirit so that to you becomes sin however good it is in itself let me say that again if anything increasing the authority and the power of the flesh over the spirit that to you becomes sin however good in itself we must recognize that one of the goals of the Christian life is the victory of the spirit over the flesh and the change of life which demonstrates righteous living before a holy God the Lord the struggle will be very very real which the Bible makes, makes very very clear Christians have this assurance from God that he will bring them eventual success over the flesh I want you to know that here's what the Bible says Philippians 1 and 6 for I am confident that this very thing Graham here we are that he who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Christ Jesus I was not sure whether to preach this message tonight and as Graham and I were praying here he quoted that very verse and I felt the spirit of God confirming his word in my heart just as Jesus died for sin in Golgotha so we are commanded to die to self and live for Jesus Christ in the words of the apostle Paul we are to be crucified with Christ let's look at the text John 19 and 17 again says this and he bearing his cross the cross is heavy it's painful it's bloody 
The cross is a place of self-denial. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus? Not my will, but thine be done. The cross is a place where we are stripped naked of everything. Nothing in my hand I bring. Remember the hymn? Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. The cross is a place where God's love and God's justice meet. Christ the Messiah bore his cross. What about us? Are we bearing our cross? Mark 8 and 34 and the words of the Lord Jesus when he called the people unto him with his disciples also he said to them whosoever will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I want to ask you today are you taking up your cross and are you following the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you feel the pain, the rebuffs, the reproach as you witness a good confession of Jesus Christ? Are you fully surrendered to Christ? We sing all to Jesus. I surrender. All to him I freely give. Is this true of us? Does the world mean more to you than Christ? Is the world crucified to you right now? Or does it enthrall you? Are you carrying your cross like Jesus carried his? Luke 14 and 27. Whosoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Oh, I pray that all of us will carry our cross and witness a good confession of our Saviour. That you'll be part of the army of this church who will be armed ready for spiritual warfare. That you will be ready to push back the advances of Satan in your life, in your community, and in this country, this land, winning souls for Jesus Christ. Let's go back to our text again. It says, he bearing his cross, verse 17, went forth. Where did he go to? Where did Jesus go to carrying his cross? The text says he went forth while his final battle started at Gethsemane. And went via Gabbatha's judgment hall. It continued up the Via Della Rosa. Right to Calvary. And it finished at the tomb. Luke 21 and 41 and 42. Says he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he kneeled and began to pray saying. Father if you are willing remove this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What a scene this must have been. What a prayer meeting this must have been between him and his father. You know what it says, an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him. Is there a crisis in your life? Like there was in the life of Jesus. Maybe not to the same extent. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Father. Not my will. But yours be done. His sweat was like blood oozing out through the pores of his flesh. What can we learn from this? When you're going to fight a battle, first of all, pray like Jesus did. Pray fervently. And remember this. A sinning man... Or women stops praying. 
But a praying man or woman stops sinning. Let me say that again. A sinning man or woman stops praying. But a praying man or woman stops sinning. Remember that you're subject to God's sovereign will. Not my will, but his be done. I've heard some Christians say, you've no idea what I'm going through just now. What? You've no idea what I'm having to endure just now. Yes, I do. What do you mean? So that's God's will for you. What? And it's tragic that we don't understand the, the truth of the sovereignty of God's will in our lives. God permits us to go through circumstances so that he will draw us closer to himself, so that he will refine us, so that he'll knock off the rough edges, so that he will increase our faith, that we might be strong for him. Why do you think God allowed the Apostle Paul to travel the road that he was on, and to suffer the afflictions that he suffered? It was to make him a true man of God, utterly dependent on God himself. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 3, he says, my adequacy is from God. I'm not doing this for myself. If I was doing this for myself, I would give it up. I'm doing it for God. We have to realize that when we're, as Christians, we're in the service of God. It's an honor to be in God's service. It's an honor for me to be serving the living God. It's an honor for you to be serving the living God. To be part of God's family. Who not only saved us by His grace, but He keeps us by His power. He's sanctifying us every moment of every day. Drawing us closer to Himself. Making us more Christ-like. And one day He's coming to the earth to take us home to glory. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Oh boy. He went forth. He went to Gethsemane's garden. When Jesus prayed, he sweat great drops of blood falling to the ground. Oh, pray with passion. So I was in a prayer meeting on Wednesday night in their own place, and I had people praying with passion their soul. Oh, I want you to come. See, before this meeting tonight, if you've got time, come. In fact, make time. Come together and pray and pray and pray and let the power of God fall in this place. Pray for Graham. Pray for the servants of God that are coming along. That God will fill them with the Holy Ghost. That you won't just get people along here that will tickle your ears with nice sermons. But you'll get men of God coming here that will speak the word of God in truth. And that your spirits will be revived. And that the dry bones will hear the word of the Lord and that they'll be wakened. And that will be filled with the Spirit of God, taking the Word of God and the power of God out into the community, sharing Jesus Christ, and the community will know when you're speaking in the power of the Spirit. What did they say about Jesus? Never man spake like this man. Never man spake like this man. A number of weeks ago a woman said to me, I've heard a priest preaching the Gospel. But she says, I've never heard the Word of God like you preached it. She said, you said tonight, whomsoever the sun sets free is free indeed. I want to be free from my sin. And immediately she was free from her sin. You want to know the power of God at work in your life. You can't, you can't work in God's service without knowing the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. 
I don't want to go about with a humdrum life and just going to church every Sunday, morning or evening or during the week and doing wee bits here and there. I don't want that. I want to know the power of God. I don't care how menial the tasks are, whether it's clearing up the church, I want to know the power of God within me. Whether it's serving tea or serving food, I want to know the power of God within me. Whether it's preaching the gospel to a congregation or whether it's taking the word to an individual, I want to know the power of God within me. Whether it's sitting down with my grandchildren and trying to sing a song to them, I want to know the power of God within me. When I'm standing at the kitchen sink and I'm praying and I'm seeking God's face, doing the dishes, I want to know the power of God coming upon me. I don't want to be without the power of God. And the power of God is the Holy Spirit at work in each one of us, drawing us closer to Him and making us more like Jesus Christ every day. Hallelujah. What a wonderful God we've got. Well, pray with passion in your souls as though you were trying to snatch souls from hell or keep the devil at bay. To live victoriously for Jesus Christ. The fervent prayer, says the Bible, of a righteous man avails much. Then we're at Gabbath's judgment hall. Never in human history was there ever such a travesty of justice to which that which our Lord Jesus Christ was subjected. Six trials, three Jewish trials, three Roman trials. Pilate, before Pilate, three times Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. I wonder if we got to the stage in our society where Christians were being put in the dock for what they believed and what they preached. Would they put you and me in the dock? Would they find us guilty? Would they find us guilty of believing and preaching what Jesus Christ taught us? Would they find us guilty of teaching the word of God and being faithful to God? There are other parts of the world where it's happening. They're putting Christians in trial. North Korea, China is dreadful. Some of the things that are happening. Syria, it's absolutely devastating. But do you know what? They will not bow their knee. And these people are a Shadrach and a Meshach and a Bendigo. They can throw them into the fiery furnace. Do you know something? Jesus will be in that fire with them. And I tell you tonight, there might be times when trials and troubles will come upon you. I want to tell you that Jesus will be in the fire with you. The waters will not overflow you. He'll be there. He will protect you. He will save you. He will bring you through victoriously. He doesn't say he'll take you out of it. But he'll bring you through it and he'll be with you every step of the way. Again and finally we come back to Golgotha, the place of death. In death he descended into hell and bore the punishment, the wrath of God that you and I should have borne. We know that he triumphed over death, hell and the grave by rising from the dead in accord with God's sovereign will. And he now lives in the power of an endless life. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. But this man, what man? Jesus. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God and this is a journey that he made when the scripture says and he bearing his cross went forth what about you where 
will your journey take you carrying the cross of Jesus Christ? His command is this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Are you willing to obey the command to go? Are you willing to bear his reproach and the judgments of the unrepentant as the world mocks you and as you witness a good confession of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to die to self and in so doing see others come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Truly, truly, said Jesus, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies... It bears much fruit. Saints of God, you and I are sowing the seeds of God's word. And we are praying that it will fall into good ground and bring forth a harvest for the glory of God. Is this God's will for you? Let's see what the Bible has to say about God's God's will. Doing the will of the Father is evidence that we have been truly saved by God's amazing grace. Romans 12 and 2 Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. Wow. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. First Thessalonians 4 and 3 For this is the will of God your sanctification that you abstain from immorality. Sexual immorality. 1 Peter 2 and 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. 1 Peter 4 verse 1 and 2. Therefore since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Not to live as the rest of the time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. 1 John 2 and 17 The world is passing away in its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And lastly, Micah 6 and 8 He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. This It's the will of God for you and for me. This is what it means to be crucified with Christ. If we want to live victoriously for Jesus Christ, then you and I must die to the flesh. And the cross of Christ is the place to which we must be crucified. Paul had real battles with the flesh. Romans chapter 7, 24 and 25. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who will deliver you from the body of this death. And let me finish with this quote. It's from a man called Paris Reedhead. He was an American Christian missionary and Bible teacher. And he said this. Why must a person come to the cross why must a person die with Christ because it's the only way God can get glory out of a human being that's why we must come to the cross let us pray Father we come before you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we pray that your word will have gone into our hearts 
and that by your spirit you will quicken it and bring it to life to make us more Christ-like to make us serve you to cause us Lord to fall before you in humility realizing who you are the God of glory the God of heaven the God who created us the God who saves us the God who sanctifies us and the God who one day is coming again to take us home to glory to be with forever and ever oh Lord the thought of the joy of spending eternal bliss and glory with you and so we just pray that the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of sheep our Lord Jesus Christ through the blood of the eternal covenant that he will equip you in every good thing to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever and all God's people said Amen Amen Thank you